This episode is brought to you by Fizzy Vantage. I have been taking Fizzy Vantage supercharged collagen every day for several months now, and I just love knowing that my tendons and my ligaments have all of the building blocks they need to get stronger. Supercharged Collagen is a research-based athlete-proven supplement that supports collagen synthesis in connective tissues and the force transfer matrix of muscle. What the hell does all that mean? Well, to me, it means that if you want stronger fingers, you should be supplementing with collagen. I personally am taking collagen an hour before my finger training to try to get the most out of my training so that I can finally hang from a small edge with one hand someday, I hope. I still have a long way to go, but I'm making steady progress, and I definitely think the extra collagen is helping. I've also had no aches and pains. I've had very healthy fingers for the last several months, which I'm super grateful for. If you would like to feel the Fizzy Vantage, head over to fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off your next order. That's fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off your order. This episode is also brought to you by Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens has become one of my favorite parts of my morning routine. I wake up, throw on a podcast or some music, add a scoop of Athletic Greens to about eight to 12 ounces of cold water, shake it up and sip on that while I'm making my coffee and breakfast. It's super refreshing. It tastes really good. There's some fruit extracts and a little stevia in there to make it tasty. And I look forward to it every morning, almost as much as that first cup of coffee. And I love it because one scoop of Athletic Greens in a glass of water has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, everything you need to help start your day right. I think of it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. I like to eat whole foods when it comes to my nutrition. I try to eat very healthy. But it can be really hard to get fresh fruits and vegetables, not to mention organic, when you're traveling, especially in some of these remote climbing areas. If I take Athletic Greens in the morning, I know I'm covered, and I love that. To make your decision easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash nugget. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash nugget to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And finally, this episode is brought to you by Crimped. This is the best app I have seen when it comes to self-coached training for rock climbing. If you are a self-coached climber or you're interested in training for the first time after listening to a bunch of episodes of The Nugget, Crimped was designed to give you a professional training experience right there in your pocket. All of the workouts in the app are crafted by world-class climbers and coaches, Tom Randall, who's been on the podcast, and his partner, Ollie Tor of Lattice Training. You can find workouts that are tailored to help you improve whatever it is you want to improve, whether that's endurance, power endurance, strength, conditioning, finger strength, mobility, you name it, it's in the app. With Crimped, training on your own has never been easier. So check out Crimped. Head over to crimped.com. That's C-R-I-M-P-D.com to get started or download the Crimped app for free. That's crimped.com or find the Crimped app in the App Store to get started with your training. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt. 
And my guest today is Dorian Evers. Dorian is an individual and couples therapist based in Boulder, Colorado. And we got to sit down in person in her therapy office and have a really great chat about relationships. This whole conversation was about relationships, navigating relationships, when you and your partner, your romantic partner, have different levels of excitement and stoke for rock climbing. And we talked about so many other relatable things. If you're a climber and you're in a relationship or hoping to be in a healthy relationship one day, I really hope you find something in this conversation that's helpful. I'm sure that you will because Dorian is awesome and she does this for a living. She's really great at it. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoy. We both really opened up in this conversation. Dorian shared some of her experiences navigating this stuff with her husband, who is an obsessive climber. And I shared some of my dating experiences as well. And yeah, I hope you get something out of it. And just to give you a quick glimpse at the upcoming conversation, we talked about how to get vulnerable with your partner and have difficult conversations, how to create a safe space to make it easier for your partner to be vulnerable with you, which is much easier said than done. We talked about common insecurities and fears in relationships tips for staying connected if you go on a climbing trip and you're going to be gone for a while, tips for navigating long-distance relationships, tips for van life dating and how to live together in a small space with your partner, and a lot more. I really hope you guys enjoy this one. And without further ado, here is Dorian. So we're talking at 11, 15 in the morning. Mm-hmm. How's your morning been so far? Good. Relaxed. Been working in the garden. Nice. Um, and yeah, it's a nice day today in Colorado. It is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I just drove down from Estes. Sun is shining. Yeah. Did you get a big rainstorm in Estes yesterday? yesterday? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a, every day, right? It's like that sure. kind of that time of the year where it's like the the daily afternoon afternoon mm-hmm. thunderstorms rolling through and we can kind of see like the mm-hmm. first signs of it again today the clouds are kind of building over I the know. mountains and stuff i kind of like it yeah i liked that it's cozy it's nice uh, yeah yes as long as you're not stuck <laughs> yeah. at wherever in the, in the mountains then it's really cozy and cute right but when you're <laughs> when you're out there and the you're counting the seconds from the light or the thunder or the lightning strike that's when it gets a little hairy. That is, yeah. I haven't, you haven't done that yet? I haven't done that yet. I got rained on the other day and mm. had to hunker under a boulder until it stopped. Mm. And then you're like, you know, talus hopping on wet like any boulders to get out of there. But I haven't I haven't gotten stuck in a proper lightning storm up there yet. I'm talking about like a you know, chaos canyon. Yes. Yeah. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Yeah. Yeah, you really have to be careful out there. Um, yeah. And watch the clouds and know and be okay to like suck it up and say, no, I'm not going to push it. Yeah. Because it can be really dangerous right. out there, especially in Rocky Mountain. And every day I've got a lot of stories, but some personal really, stories. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. About like some sketchy things that have happened and have resulted in death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. like you really, if you're not from here and you don't know to read it, then you 
You have to be careful. Yeah. And you've been backpacking a lot recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And have you been caught in any thunderstorms this season so far? Um, No. We uh, backpacked the four-pass loop and there was a lot of um, talk about all the thunderstorms and like this big monsoon that was coming. And we still were like, well, we've got these reservations. We're just going to go for it. And if we get stuck, we get stuck. And Fortunately, it was beautiful weather. Oh, so it's when we didn't listen to the weather channel and just let, we're up for the adventure. And nice. Like if we get stuck on a pass, we'll just keep uh, keep walking. That's all <laughs> you can do. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. But um, just this past weekend, we got stuck in a lightning storm. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, but we decided to to like bail. And as soon as you decide to bail, the weather clears up and it's beautiful. It's so annoying. Mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. But you have, you, depends on your level. It's a law of the universe. It is. It yeah. is. So. Yeah. Sometimes it works to just bring a rain jacket, you know, just to have it <laughs> yes. in your bag that keeps the sun shining. <laughs> as soon as you put that rain jacket on, it, it goes, the rain <laughs> stops. Yeah. I hope that continues. There have been conversations <clears throat> with my partner where I'm like, Let's just put our rain jackets on because we know it'll stop. If we <laughs> Tired just of it do. raining. Let's just, put- <laughs> yeah. Let's just sweat in these rain jackets and yeah. have a good sunny day. Yeah. Yeah. So it's exciting though in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's nice. It's, it's nice to get like a little bit of multiple seasons all in one day. Yes. Starting to feel like summer a little bit, but it feels like temperamental spring, mm-hmm. you know, for half the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to get out early. Yeah, it's good to be here with you. Yes, thanks for coming to my office. Yeah, I'm sitting on your couch. This is a therapy office, so part of me feels like I'm, I don't know who's going to be asking who questions here. (laughs) I was thinking about that on the way, on the way. I'm like, this is going to be, I'm going to be sitting in my therapist chair, but answering questions. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the universe is flipped. Yeah. We can switch chairs (laughs) if you'd like to really get this, the feel for Okay. No, this is great. I mean, something I always love to do on the show, and people will know this, mm-hmm. is um, lead with my own experiences, you know, mm-hmm. and use myself as an example. So mm-hmm. I'm happy to to turn this into a at least a partial therapy session if that yeah. happens. But I know you're a relationship therapist, and yep. I'm not in a relationship. so um, And an individual therapist. It's so okay. important to know your side of it so you can show up better in the relationship because it takes two to tango in, mm. well, unless you're in an open relationship and there's multiple partners, but we're talking about monogamous relationships. And so it takes, it's equal parts. Yeah. So you got to know your side. Do you want to just tell me a little bit about your background in therapy yes. and what your practice looks like? Let's start yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, so I'm a couples, an individual therapist. Um, I work primarily with couples um, and a lot of individuals too. Um, I don't know what to, what to say about it. How long have you been doing it? um, I've been in the mental health field for like 10 years now, probably a little bit more. um, And working with couples in particular for like over five. Um, And I work, what's important is I work from the lens of this type of therapy called emotionally focused therapy. And it's this really, what I find and 
others. It might not jive with others, but what it does is it focuses on, you know, understanding what happens in our relationship and the dynamic that happens when there's conflict or a feeling of disconnection Mm. and really slowing that down. So we know, okay, I just felt defenses. This is what defenses feel like for me. What do I do? Okay. I withdraw or I go into another room or this is too much and I leave, or I begin to ask my partner a lot of questions and get really anxious. Okay, great. We name that. What's the emotion behind that? What's your worry behind that? Some will say, you know, I worry that our relationship will end or I'm not enough or or they're choosing this thing over me and I'm not a priority. And that triggers a lot of anxiety for me. Okay. So now we share that with our partners. A lot of the time, we don't share that with our partner. Mm. We don't share our biggest worries or our fears or like these big attachment insecurities that we have because it's too hard and we don't have a model for it and it can be vulnerable. And what if it's true? Mm. What if, what if it's true? Oof, <laughs> that is scary. Right. Um, and what I know in the work that I do with couples is most of the time it's not true. And so when we're able to share and your partner is able to say, no, you are important to me. You're the most important to me. Then that anxiety or that defensive strategy can kind of go away. It might rear its head again and we say, okay, it's here again. What do we do? And then, but it, it softens quite a bit and we begin to build that secure attachment mm. to in our relationship and we can breathe easier and show up the way that we want to. Mm. So that's the type of therapy that I do. And I notice it's got, and there's a lot of studies around it that just say it's got really a long-term lasting impact on relationships because it feels like you're getting at the root of the issue versus just as much as partners in the relationships that I work with would like to find just finding solutions and going, okay, don't do that. Do that. Right. <laughs> Great. You know, it's just like very like pulling the weeds, but not pulling it at the root. But it can be really uncomfortable to go to the root. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. But that's, yeah. I mean, that's what we all need to do. Right. Yeah. Like in, not just in our relationships, but in our growth as individuals is, you know, I mean, that's, that's such a common theme through everything that we do in life, through our climbing and pursuing better climbing and getting at the heart of mm-hmm. fear of falling or insecurities that we have as, as climbers. Yes. Like it, it always comes back to those stories that we make up in our heads yes. and those fears that we have. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what I'm really interested in getting into in this conversation is the ways in which we're all similar, you mm-hmm, know, because every mm-hmm. every person's different. Every person has their own unique attachment style, mm-hmm. um, their own, I'm sure, unique fears and mm-hmm. and backgrounds and and um, upbringings and things that have created those fears and insecurities yes. and whatever else. But um, they rhyme. There's yes, themes, right? They do. I know. Often in therapy sessions, I'll say, you know, it makes sense. 
why we're doing what we're doing or that you might do this because of, you know, your background or what's happened in your life. And what I always say is what you've marinated in up until the relationship. Mm. And so we bring that to the relationship and we dump it on our partner and they dump what they have on us. And so then it's just, it can feel like a dumpster fire for a second there for a long time. Right. And we do our best for so long until it becomes too intolerable and we have sometimes have to really take a deep look at ourselves um, and our relationship to just shift it. And, and it can happen and it's hard work and scary work and vulnerable work, but I know it can, it can lead to some really solid relationships, which mm-hmm. you can see on the smile. The smile on my face gets me excited. Oh, I'm I'm smiling because I'm kind of laughing at myself. Like mm-hmm. you, we, <laughs> you just said something. Like we, you know, we marinate and we bring all these things and dump them on our partner. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been thinking about this a lot recently because I was just recently in a, a brief relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like testing the waters with someone. And mm-hmm. um, I'm 33, and I've just been noticing it's like as you date later in life in your 30s like you've collected all these mm-hmm. all these triggers all these mm-hmm. you know little baggage items from each relationship and it's so difficult sometimes to separate those from whatever you're experiencing now with this new person right and but we but at the same time like we're you know I've been like trying to learn about myself and work through a lot of that stuff and it's just it's just I'm laughing at like how complicated it is <laughs> and how messy and and interesting. And like, I'm a lot more self-aware in a lot of ways than I was in mm-hmm. my early 20s. And mm-hmm. I've picked up a lot of new baggage since I was in my mm-hmm. early 20s. And mm-hmm. all those things are kind of coexisting. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. It's, um, it's, I like how you're viewing it with curiosity, though. It feels like for me, you are. And I think that is so important to view to just get curious about, wow, what is it that I'm bringing instead of feeling like you're bad or like you're the problem? It's can feel much more lighter and like a kinder place to just be curious mm. and to approach your partner with curiosity too. Mm. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I'm excited for this conversation. Um, I want it to. I want us to specifically be talking a lot about climbing yeah. um, relationships with our partners in mm-hmm. climbing, or our partners who aren't climbers. Um, you know, as as people listening to this are likely wrapped up in climbing themselves. Right. You know, they're maybe they're with someone who is similar, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had listened to your conversation with Chris and Andrew on the run out, and um, it was great. Mm-hmm. And you reached out to me for this conversation. I wanted to ask you. What made you want to have this conversation? Why does this feel important? I was thinking a lot about this question of what is important, like why it's important to have this conversation. And for me, I have such a, there's a couple of things. My own relationship struggled with that stoke difference in climbing in particular. And there's this saying where like your pain can become your passion. Hmm. And for me and my relationship, and this is where I'll be vulnerable and try to be vulnerable here today, there were a lot of moments that were really tough for us. And 
after a lot of efforts and conflict and repairing and getting vulnerable and honest with each other, we're able to make it through. And I think that's important um, to know, okay, there's can be a lot of conflict around climbing and how do we move through it in our relationship or with our friendships or whatever it is. I also just have this, as a couples therapist, this deep goal in life to support couples in any way that I can. And I have an affinity for the climbing community and I'm just so um, struck by the discipline and the dedication and how it brings people so alive that to be able to support that community and to say, okay, how can we keep that stoke alive in you and have a really solid relationship if that's what you want? If you want a relationship and you're noticing you're struggling, right now that piece isn't clicking. And so to help and to support and to provide little nuggets of information there we go. There for that community. And yes, like I have a smile on my face because I just really have such a love for that for this community. I really do. Yeah, let's add a little bit more uh context there to your to your relationship just so people understand you. You and your partner both climb, but he is like all in, like mm-hmm. passionate, mm-hmm. obsessive mm-hmm. climber. Mm-hmm. And you, from what I know of you, you're more of a jack of all trades. Yeah. You like backpacking, you you dabble in climbing, mm-hmm. you like trail running and other yeah. things. Does right. that sound, yeah, is that all correct? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I like, I view people as having parts to ourselves. And what I've noticed in the climbing community is if you were to draw a pie graph, right? And what makes you whole? Climbing is like 85, 90, 85%, right? Like yeah. it is yeah. climbing and then food or like <laughs> friends or relationship, whatever. Yeah. And me, it's like many different things. Trail outdoors takes up a huge chunk of it, but it's trail running, um, gardening, uh, you know, cooking, like hiking, all these different things. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, that makes me, me. And um, if it's okay to just take a moment to talk about, you know, I wanted to do this, just my identity. So your listeners kind of just know what lens I'm coming from. And of course, yeah, um, I think that's important. It is. And I think it's important because what I might say might not land um, or not, might just not work for that individual with a different identity. And that's okay. So just take what works um, mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. you. Don't take what I'm saying as the ultimate truth. Um, and so I'm coming into this conversation with with the identity of being white, cisgender, heterosexual, able-bodied woman who's in a monogamous relationship. And so with the work that I do with my couples and individuals who have very different, who can have very different identities, I'm able to um, see that and work and, and change or shift. So it works for their identity and mm-hmm. I have that feedback, but I don't have that feedback here. It's just us two. And so right, right. to know, Hey, if it doesn't work, then that's okay. Yeah. 
Um, well, I'm sure a lot of what we're going to talk about is going to be relatable no matter who's listening, I right? Think like, so. I mean, whether you're in a queer relationship mm-hmm. or a polyamorous relationship, like it's, mm-hmm. it comes down to so many of the same things our fears mm-hmm. and learning how to communicate and listen to one another. Mm-hmm. And that we're wired for connection. I believe mm. all humans are wired for connection and we want. Most, most, most people are wired for connections. Maybe not all, mm. but most are. Um, and so how to, how to be connected. That's what it's all about. Do you work much with climbing couples? I do. Okay. Yeah. Climbers, climbing couples. So I work with some individuals too who are, after listening to my podcast, just got interested in their, oh, their own piece of it. And just wanting to know a little bit more and how it might be impacting their relationship and how can they be vulnerable so they can have both. They can go do something super epic and awesome and have a partner who supports them and doesn't feel like that it's a burden on the relationship. Mm. So that's been fun. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, what brings climbing couples to you for help? And is it different from any other couple? You know, are there are there themes that are specific to climbing couples that you that show up again and again when mm-hmm. people come in your come in through your door here? Right. Sit on your couch. Sit on that couch, view of the flat irons. Yeah. yeah. It, it is it's yeah. Yeah. Probably distracting for some of the climbers that it sit is, here. It is, right. I know the other <laughs> I can see the first and the second from the window. The other day someone was telling me about their their plans and it was on Zoom and I was like it's pouring here. I don't think you're going to be able to do what you want to do right now. And for that day, for that day. Yeah. (laughs) And I gave them a little weather update because I was looking at flatter and something. You should add that to your uh, website. Yes. I'll give you weather updates. (laughs) Climbing weather updates. You live in Denver. Yeah. It's a perk. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Anywho. Um, what was the question? Oh yeah. What brings them? And is it different? Um, I wouldn't say there's the, with climbing the content is different from other couples that I see, and what I see is um, that different level of stoke or um, just that feeling of like that dread of in this relationship do I have to give up this climbing identity. So I can be in this relationship. Mm. Is that the expectation? And this just like, mm, what a threat that can feel. And to feel like it's so black and white of it's either or. And so my goal is to say, okay, it's not either or. Let's talk, let's, let's talk about, you know, what's happening in the relationship that's causing this fear and that's causing this different level of stoke. And the more we talk about it, the more we make what I like to say, like the implicit, explicit things that you're thinking, if you say it, the less it becomes a a problem in the relationship because we're able to, it's out on the table. Okay, now we can sort through it. Mm. Now I see it. Let's do something. Great. So that's what I I see the that climbing. It's the cli- the content is different, um, 
but the way I approach the the relationship is very similar as if there was a, there's a couple who just experienced an affair or um, is exploring a different identity. Um, it's similar. Mm-hmm. So. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Do you think it's really common in, in couples where at least one of them is a climber that there's a mismatched level of stoke? Because it seems to me like that's probably a lot more common than the opposite where yeah. like two people are perfectly aligned mm-hmm. in their relationship with climbing. And, and I've experienced that myself. Like I've, <clears throat> I've dated a couple climbers and, and never, I, I don't know. I've, I've dated people who were climbers who I felt really aligned with and who I felt really mismatched with, you know, mm-hmm. and just them just being a climber wasn't, wasn't really that significant. It had way more to do with their relationship with climbing and whether or not mm. they could understand what climbing meant mm. to me. Yes. And similarly, I've dated non-climbers and like one of the relationships in which I felt most aligned as far as like a passion and stoke perspective was with a non-climber. Mm-hmm. She was a competitive runner and I, I always felt like we just got each other, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. in that specific way. Like as athletes, we could just kind of support each other and it was really cool. Right. Yeah. Right. You both, you could, um, connect you could relate. on that. Yeah. You could relate. And yeah. this, where the stoke is so high, but for different things and it take, can consume your life there. And so with ultra running that can consume all day, just like climbing can consume all day. And then you can come home and eat dinner and cool. Mm-hmm. Great. That works for the relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. You're excited to hear about it. You yes. Because they're and they're excited. You have that delight in yes. each other, which is so important in relationships of wanting to hear about the project that they're working on or the run that they did and the mile that was a challenge or how they got through it. It's very, you know, it's all a lot mental, those big sports. And um, so to to be able to connect on that. I think that can be a way to a way that relationships can work. That was one of my biggest questions is, you know, climbing seems really unique in that so many people who climb just get obsessed, Mm -hmm. you know, on a level that like we don't really see in other activities in our lives, you know, like a lot of a lot of people listening to this who are interested in learning more and progressing their own climbing, who are training, who are, you know hiring coaches, things like that. Like a lot of us almost pretend like we're professional athletes and it can be really difficult to relate to. I'm I'm sure if you don't have something like that for yourself, Mm -hmm. um, cause it's kind of weird, right? Like, you know, you act like a professional athlete, (laughs) but you're like in the big picture, like, I'll just speak for myself. Like I'm never going to be a pro, you know? And I know that it's, it's almost like a 40 year old, like rock star who's still trying to make it. And you're kind of like, oh, that's cute, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Right. But so so I guess what I'm curious about is how do you help the partner of someone like that relate to that unique relationship, Mm -hmm. um, that passion that a lot of climbers have? And then I think it'd be interesting to flip it around as well. But let's start with that. Right. And so what my ultimate goal with a couple like that. And I can speak from my experience with my partner. There was a time where I resented climbing because for me, it was consuming his time. 
And I felt like, so then my fears were stoked there of this is more important than me. And we were basically, we were married at that point, And I had made this big commitment with him. And so I had to get honest with my fears as the person with less stoke. I like, I like to climb. I like to be outdoors. Like I have a huge admiration for those that keep, that climb hard and fall and get back up and do it again and all that. But it was different for me. And so that person who has less stoke, the relationship needs, you need to get curious about the relationship and wonder, okay, what's happening for my partner right now around the person with less stoke? What's happening for that person? And Wait, can you clarify that? Yeah. So, so for me, for example, with the less stoke for climbing mm-hmm. and how do I get them to get excited about how did I get excited for my partner to it. climb? Okay. And it took me to be able to say, okay, what are my, what's really happening for me here? Hmm. I want to be with, I want to see my partner. I want to spend time with him. I want to know that I'm important and that I matter to the relationship. That, yeah, at the end of the day, I'm important here. And, to be able to share that in a vulnerable way with him, which is hard. <laughs> I can feel my, I know that I have my defensive strategy that <laughs> he would laugh at me. <laughs> Not he wouldn't, but to know like, oh, yeah. she wants to be vulnerable. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're making me very curious, yeah. but yeah, yeah I, um, won't, I won't pry too much. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, to get to be able to share those worries and those fears there and to say gosh it really it really hurts when i'm um when we have dinner planned and i've you know i've made it and you're not home mm. and i don't know where you are and i was really excited to be able to spend some time with you mm. and it just that that bothered me Sure. Um, and to to try to be able to share that in a way that your partner can hear it. So then your partner's job, the one who has the high stoke for climbing, is to listen for understanding and to empathize with that that partner who's hurt, that wounded partner there, and to say, you are important to me. Of course, Um I didn't, I never mean to hurt you. I don't know something. This is what the work that we do, I do here is just get to that empathy and to that understanding. But once that person, once my fears were calmed and I knew and was solid in my partner's love for me and that secure attachment, then it was, I was able to see and delight in his stoke for climbing. Mm. And it took him to be honest with me and to tell me how much it hurt him to see and to feel like my anger around climbing and for him to be vulnerable and to share, hey, it hurts when I come home and and I worry about what 
I'll come home to. Mm. Right. And I, and me personally, like Dorian, I don't want my partner to ever feel like that. And I'm, my intention is to never this huge identity from my, that my partner has that is so much a part of him and why I love him and why I fell in love with him. At the end of the day, do I really want him to stop climbing? No, of course not. And so it took his vulnerability for me to see that and to take stock and to go, okay, that's it. So he had to be vulnerable too. So Mm. it took a whole vulnerability pile there (laughs) to make this work, right? And to be able to get to a level of, okay, climbing isn't a threat. I love that he's doing this and it fills him up and he is a better person for it. And I want him, that person to show up in my relationship. So I need to take stock in what I'm doing so I can lift that up. I hope that made sense. That did. Yeah. It's really interesting to me how you can feel in a relationship that someone is like tolerating Mm -hmm. you and what you spend your time doing versus being excited for you. You know, I've, I've felt both and, you know, someone can be putting on a really happy smile and a convincing face, you know, but like you can feel it when they're when part of them is resenting that you're going climbing again. What feels different for you? How do you notice the difference? I don't know. It's that's interesting. It's the subtle things, right? It's um you can tell that someone you can just tell, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can tell mm-hmm. when someone is genuinely excited for you versus when they're pushing something down. Yeah. Right. And putting on a smile, right. like masking, you know, right. you can kind of feel that. I think you that's can interesting. Feel it. I wanted to ask you, how did your, how did your partner make you feel secure enough in your relationship to then, to then not no longer be threatened by climbing? Mm-hmm. To see his vulnerability, and for him to share to work through his defenses because he could have easily resented me and been mad or uh masked like masked the masked the hurt with something um and also and this is you know the work that I do in here with couples but you know what really struck me was when I would hear stories from his climbing partners and they would say like, and I laugh now because it really was endearing to me and it told me that I mattered, but it was like, you know, he said he, he, we would have dinner at six 30 and it was 6 PM and they needed to like repel and like do all the stuff that it takes, do, you know, traverse a river, all this stuff. And I had a, a friend of his shared with me that, yeah, he just bolted as soon as he could. And when I just looked around, he was acro- across the river already because he wanted to get home to you. Mm. And to me, that was like, okay. Like to me, that felt like, okay, he he matters. And so uh, I matter right. there. And now it's like, now, now, because I feel like I matter in the relationship, that fear isn't stoked anymore. And honestly, now it's like not even a problem for me. I am like, go do, do whatever. Like, it's fine. It, like, it's not, it doesn't feel like a comp, like a, we'll say like a competition there. It can feel like another, 
another quote unquote woman or another relationship. Climbing. Climbing. Yeah. 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 And, can, and His can, relationship with climbing. Mm-hmm, and can feel like a threat to mm-hmm. our system. And so now it's not. I, I, I feel secure in here. And it's interesting how you have no way of knowing. Like if he shows up 30 minutes late, like you don't know if he was rushing home to get to you or if right. he was like, yeah, let's do another pitch. It's yeah. fine. You know, like right. you have no way of knowing unless he tells you or exactly. his partner tells you. Exactly. Right. And so <laughs> but what, that changes things. I'm, yeah, that completely changes things. It does. And so what we do as humans is we make meaning of what we don't know. Right. Mm. So I might see him come home late. And I make meaning of that. And oftentimes the meaning that we make is not very kind. Right. If we don't check check it out with our partner and make it explicit. But the meaning making could be they don't care about me or they chose to do another pitch when they knew they had this obligation or what have you. And so it, it takes that vulnerability to share like, to share those, that meaning making that you're doing and put it, put it out there and and to work through it in the relationship. So then your partner has the opportunity to say, to express that care and be able to comfort you mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. That story about him being late, it, it brings um, one thing to mind that I feel like I should share. Hopefully it's helpful. But this is something I, I remember. This was like a very distinct lesson that I learned in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. And I was still in college and I was really falling in love with climbing mm-hmm. and starting to go sport climbing. And um, I had a period in my early 20s in college where I just got really flaky because mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to do everything. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to be able to have a full day climbing and climb until it got dark or whatever, but then also show up for my friends. I wasn't in a relationship at the time. This was just like showing up to friends' dinner parties and mm-hmm. stuff. And I got really flaky because I would overcommit. I would mm-hmm. just say like, yeah, of course I'll be there because mm-hmm. I wanted to be there. Right. And it it hurt people, mm-hmm. you know, to... Mm-hmm. It, it hurt people that I was overcommitting, saying, yes, I'll be there, and then flaking out. And it happened multiple times. And I, I remember realizing, like, I know. Like, I know exactly how long the drive takes. I know how long it takes to get five pitches in. Right. I know how long the drive back takes because it's the same as the drive down there, whatever. Uh-huh. Like, I know I'm not going to realistically be back in town until mm-hmm. 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. And I just made a point and I, I still struggle with this sometimes, but cause I'm a people pleaser, you know, yeah, right. but I made an effort to just take a split second before answering things like that and just get really honest mm-hmm. with myself and, and then be really brutally honest. Like I would love to, that sounds really fun, but we're not going to get back until 8 PM right. probably, you know? Right. Um, and then I'd love to still come if people are still over and, and that feels so much better to me, to them to everyone involved mm-hmm. than, than trying to please everybody and say like, of course, I'd love to come to dinner and then right. showing up two hours late. <laughs> right. Knowing full well. Knowing, yeah. Because right. I was like lying to myself. Yeah. Right? About the, the amount of things I could fit into a day. Mm-hmm. Was there a worry of disappointing your friends or yeah, what, I think, what would happen in that friendship relationship? Yeah. And and I think at that time, I was a little bit unique in my friend circle. Like I was a little bit more obsessed with climbing than everyone else and kind of still 
wrestling with that, mm-hmm. like not sure if I was okay with that because mm-hmm. everyone else seemed to like have a more balanced life. Mm-hmm. You know, we were in Bellingham, Washington, and a lot of my friends climbed a bit, but they also mountain biked. They also had a lot more dinner parties. They went out to the bar. Like right. from the outside, I was like, wow, they're they're like normal mm-hmm. and I'm the weirdo. Uh-huh. And so I was, I think part of it was, um, was that I was just not ready to embrace like my own identity. Right, right, yeah. right. That can be scary, especially when in the face of like a group dynamic and almost being the odd person out and being, we all have this tiny little fear of abandonment that happens and and not having that connection. And what if I'm honest and they say your biggest fear happens or something? Mm. Who knows? But once you named your identity and it was accepted still, lovely, you can show up in the way that you want to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it might, I don't know if it was accepted or if I did show up and embrace it at that stage, but Mm -hmm. I was just starting to kind of understand it. And then I think it just helped a lot to find friends who understood Mm -hmm. that part of me Mm -hmm. and that it wasn't personal if I Mm -hmm. got one more pitch in and was late or because they would do the same things. (laughs) You know, we started started planning dinner parties at 8 (laughs) p.m. Because they wanted to get in more pitches too. Sure, right. Great. Do what works, right? (laughs) Do what works. Yeah, that's good. So it's it's interesting hearing you talk about your own experience with your partner. It sounds like it starts with identifying our own fears Mm -hmm. and then being willing to lay those out and be vulnerable. Yes, to be able to identify those worries and then to say in a vulnerable way, share that with your partner. Um, And that takes, the reason why I kind of pause there and I'm hesitant is because it takes you also being very aware of your defensive strategy too. And can you elaborate on that? mm -hmm. What are some common examples Mm -hmm. that you see? So if we, um, you know, if, if in your relationship and climbing is a issue, and the stoke is different. If you say, I'm going to go climbing today and you get what you were talking about earlier that, um, here, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Okay. Okay. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> exactly. And you're like, Oh <laughs> shit. You just <laughs> named it. <laughs> you just, that like that split second thing, di- uh, interaction that just happened has, oh my goodness, three sessions worth of juice there (laughs) that I can squeeze because, okay, really? That's cool. That tone is, there's something there. Get curious if you're using that tone. What's there for you? What's happening? What are the worries there? And is it possible to take that step to reach for your partner in an honest way and to say whatever you need, whatever that vulnerability would say. And then when on the flip side, right, when you go, when you hear that tone, to check in with your partner about that tone Mm. and to say, okay, I I know, I just want to check in here because I know I said I was going to go climb. And 
I notice a tone there. What's what's up with the tone? Like that sounds defensive. But what's up with the tone? What's up with the yeah, tone? maybe don't phrase right? it that way. Don't phrase it. Like I'm trying to think. You know, you gotta be really tender because when you're in an esca- when you're in escalation as a couple, where anything can set the relationship into a conflict spiral, you have to be very tender. So it might take some uh, walking around and seeing what works for your relationship. But to say, uh, even just say, I, I just noticed the tone. Um, let's talk about it. And that can feel hard to say too, mm. to your partner, to even to just make that, Im- that implicit noticing of the tone explicit. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of people don't like conflict. Right. And didn't have conflict modeled for them when they were growing up or what repair looks like. Or they had it modeled for them in a horrifying, horrifying <laughs> horrible way. way. Right. Right. Yeah. right. And so it to say, to take a step into conflict potentially and not know the outcome, that can be terrifying. Mm. And so it's it's very nuanced, that whole dance. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we do in couples therapy is we, we, we break apart that dance and have a third party here is very comforting and people are able to be a little more open because they know I'm here to jump in mm. if needed and to break that dynamic Yeah, and to provide safety. Let's talk more about that because I'm, I'm really interested if you have tools for people listening um, about a couple things, like how to make their partner feel more secure. Mm-hmm. And and this can be coming from either side of this imbalance. You know, if, you, if you're the partner who is trying to support your partner who's acting like a pro climber, you know, yeah. and just obsessed, or you're right. on the other side and you're obsessed with climbing yourself. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to hear if you have tools for helping people make their partners feel more secure. And I'd love to talk more about communication too, but mm-hmm. let's start. Let's start with that. Mm -hmm. If you have thoughts. Yeah. For a partner. So, um, the non-climbing partner, for example, or the one with less stoke who has the pro, the wannabe pro climber partner. Um, one piece there would be to find delight and empathy for your partner, your the climbing partner's experience, and see how you know. Ask questions. You know what? What is it about climbing that you love? What What's that feeling that you get? Get curious about their climbing experience mm. there, and be and notice your reaction like this is you're doing your own work when it's a problem right you'll have your reactions when they come home or when they say they're gonna go climb or do a last minute weekend trip um those pieces get honest about your experience and you got to work through that in the relationship but the goal is to be able to have an to have empathy for your the climbing partner's experience to genuinely want to know how their climbing day was. And when you, like I'm I'm saying this a lot, but having delight in a relationship, to see the smile on your partner's face when you come home and 
they want to know about your day. Mm. And they want to know about the, even if you're just sitting under, you know, the rain comes in Colorado and you're sitting under a rock, you know, they want to hear about that. And they, you know, all these, all these things. And, and you can tell by the non-verbals in their face that they're interested and they're actively listening and they're working through their own defenses to be there with you in that experience. That is one piece to show that you love that person's identity and you want it to grow and it doesn't feel like a threat. That's one way. Do you think that needs to be reciprocated? Because mm -hmm. that can be... I think that can be um, just as interesting, but it, it might take practice or it might not be intuitive to the climber, like the, the stoked climber who's obsessed with climbing and has a passion, who's dating someone who doesn't necessarily have a passion. Mm -hmm. They have mm -hmm. a lot of interests. Mm -hmm. They have different hobbies and stuff. Um, it can be hard to bring the same curiosity about your partner's interests. Yes. Right, because it doesn't feel like there's as much depth there, right? In in the thing that they spend their time doing or the right. things, um, yeah. Do you have thoughts on that? Yes, it it definitely needs to be reciprocated. Um, even if it doesn't feel like there's as much depth, a non-climbing person will feel similar about climbing, right? Uh huh. <laughs> so you're like, I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like. <laughs> <laughs> like it all sounds good and again? nice. You already, and, you already tried this thing. Yeah, like you can't times. do it. Give yeah. it up. <laughs> uh, no, you can. I've seen. Uh, no, you can. But um, never give up. Um, to because I've seen seeds of resentment being planted in that dynamic alone. Sure. Where the partner will say, "Well, you know, I like to go." do this and I like to do that. And where's the reciprocation? Um, you never ask about You never ask about it. Or mm. you, like for me, for example, you don't come to yoga with me. You don't go on trail runs. You say things like, if it involves running, I never want to do it. Right? I can relate. To yeah. I think a sentiment. lot of climbers can relate to that sentiment. Um, and that's fine. Right? But, but, you know, when, if you want to like, build positivity in the relationship and really spiral that up to treat others like you want to be treated. And that's in the relationship too, to, to wonder about their run or their, their, you know, tomato that's growing in the garden, something that really brings people joy mm. so they can see your delight in it. And they're much more likely to give it back mm. too, because they can point to, well, they do it for me. Mm -hmm. So, I'm really excited for them too. How nice of them to care about what I'm doing or to make space for it. And a little piece that might help is when your partner, say the climbing partner joins you on a run or something, and you know, they don't like to run to say how much it means to you. Mm. Like, gosh, I really, it makes me so happy when you join me on this run. I just love, I love it. It makes me so happy. Same with climbing. If your less stoked partner comes with you to say, I just love being able to share this with you and to spend time. I love that you're here with me. It can help. It can, it just breeds that, that positivity in a relationship and mm. builds a lot of strength 
there. And just like when we share when things are hard, we also don't really share when things are good too. And so to share when we get that overwhelming butterfly feeling when your partner is on a, you know, for me, on a trail run with me, I share that. And now they know. Mm. Great. Vulnerability can be both sharing good things and bad things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A comment on the curiosity thing too. I, I mean, this is my philosophy. I've talked about it on the show, but I think everyone is, I think everyone is interesting if you ask the right questions. That's, mm-hmm. I, I truly believe that. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things that are super interesting that you wouldn't think are interesting on the surface, right? Like if someone is passionate about growing vegetables. Yes. Like tomatoes can be really interesting if you they start can. like trying to understand like what makes this person tick? Like what is it about tomatoes that makes this person's eyes shine like that? Yeah. You know, like that can become fascinating. It can Because humans are weird. Like yeah. we're into some really weird stuff. We are. And it is. And it's like, and it's just, right. There's a lot of um, interesting stuff there and if you can listen to try to connect and really try to connect on something, then it can, it can work. And we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Petzl. I have been using Petzl equipment for more than a decade. And today I want to talk about quick draws because rock climbing is hard, but clipping shouldn't be. Whether you're on-siding, red pointing, or just warming up, the last thing you want to be struggling with is clipping your quick draws. That is why in 1991, Petzl introduced the Spirit Quick Draw. They set out to build the best clipping carabiner on the market, and 30 years later, you can still find Spirit Express Quick Draws hanging on the hardest routes in the world. And these are my favorite quick draws. I mean that, I promise you. These are the ones that I leave hanging on my own projects. Petzl makes some of the most clippable and durable carabiners on the market. Each Petzl carabiner design is tested to ensure that it can withstand 100,000 open and close cycles. That's a hell of a lot of clips. So whether you're climbing 510 or 514, you deserve a carabiner that's clippable, durable, and affordable. Check out Petzl's entire lineup of carabiners and quick draws at your local retailer or online at Petzl.com. Again, shop for Petzl carabiners and quick draws at your local climbing shop or online at Petzl.com. Experience the difference with Petzl. In addition to support from our amazing sponsors, this episode is brought to you by many of you who listen to this show. Did you know that for just $5 per month, you can get access to the patron-only version of the Nugget Climbing Podcast? What does that mean? Well, as soon as you sign up, you'll get a code that you can plug in right there in Apple Podcasts, which will subscribe you to the patron version of the show. It's awesome. There's even a different logo for it. And you can listen to ad-free episodes, full-length follow-ups, and all of your other bonus content right there in one spot right there in your podcast app, just like normal. It's super easy. It just takes a few minutes to sign up and you can cancel at any time, no questions asked. To learn more about all of the many great perks, head over to patreon.com slash thenuggetclimbing. That's patreon.com slash thenuggetclimbing or scroll down and click on the link right there in your podcast app. It's five bucks a month. You can think of it as buying me a beer at the pub 
after a great day of climbing. All right, I appreciate you guys, and I want to thank you so much for listening. It means the world to me, and thank you for your support. And now, back to the show. I want to ask you some questions about communication. Mm -hmm. If you have any um, advice or, or tools for people, specifically in making their partner feel safe to share something that feels hard to say. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. That's something that's been really interesting to me lately because that's a pretty recent thing for me, but I'm trying to live out this, this kind of newer for me philosophy of like being really honest, like mm -hmm. real, like ruthless, not ruthlessly, but just like fully honest mm -hmm. and transparent. And I've just noticed that things in my life go so much better if I lead with that mm -hmm. and stop, sugarcoating things to make people feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, you know, acknowledging the tension in a room right. if you have, if you feel that with someone yes. and just naming it, yes. you know. Um, but I've noticed like that, it's all well and good. And, and a lot of that's on me to take the first step to do that in my friendships and relationships. But a lot of it, it's so much easier if I'm with someone who makes me feel safe mm -hmm. and I almost don't know how they're doing that, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. but I feel it. I'm like, Oh, I feel like I can just be fully honest with this person. Mm -hmm. There's no judgment. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if I'm sure you run into that. Right. Cause we all like have our guards up. We're afraid of what the other person might say. And we're so quick to create stories and take things personally. Right. Um, how do you coach people through creating a safe space for their partner? Mm-hmm. Well, there, this is um, for a relationship, right? There can be a history of lack of safety. Maybe in the past we've tried to be brutally honest and we got a nonverbal or we got shut down or we got pushed out. And so we learned that it wasn't safe. And when that builds and builds and continues to happen, then it can erode the relationship and that dynamic becomes so entrenched. And so that's one piece to get. I always get, I say curious a million times, but I get curious about, um, about that. So take a look at the um, kind of like di dissect it with your partner first and foremost, if you can, or alone of what happens when I am brutally honest with this person and it feels unsafe. What do I see in them that tells me it's not safe? Do they um, furrow their eyebrows? Do they do a big sigh? Do they roll their eyes? Do they speak into, speak in a tone that is triggering and feels unsafe and makes you feel small? So those are all, there's a lot of nonverbal stuff that happens. Do they look at you with disgust mm. when you're sharing something? Like that makes people feel unsafe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. And so what I do in here, right, is in therapy as I say, okay, what was that sigh? Mm. Okay, I noticed that look of disgust. Like to me, it looked like it was disgust. What, what, if that look had words, what would it say? Mm. Right? And when I make it explicit, 
then we can understand a little bit more and work through it. But so that's, that's what makes it feel unsafe. My guess is, um, to make it feel safe, it's important for that person to listen with defenses down, to be able to know what their defenses are, to be honest about the tone that they are having, the looks that they are having, what they do. Do they leave the room when it gets a little too much in a really big way without telling you? So they have to be honest about that. And so then after they're honest about that and they know what they do, to be able to stay in the room, to listen for understanding, and when defenses come up, to either name them and to say, I'm noticing my heart rate is really elevating right now, and I'm really trying to stay with you here. <laughs> wow. And, and I really want to understand there. I can, I can, I'm, I'm kind of smiling because I can just imagine how saying that out loud would like immediately dissipate so much mm -hmm. of the, mm -hmm. of that tension. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Cause it's saying, I want to be here and there's something happening for me. Maybe, maybe I need to take a break to work through my defense to, to just calm down so I can be with you and what you're trying to say. Mm. Um, that is a piece I can give basic, you know, YouTube active listening skills and that <laughs> helps too. <laughs> sure. Let's do it. What are those? Right. And just eye contact, um, nodding along. Everything that I'm doing right now is is active listening, having a um like leaning in, uh having open body, um, uh, an open body posture. So not closed off or uh, scooting away from your partner. That is that those are pieces of active listening, asking questions or, or going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, giving those verbal cues that you're listening, reflecting back what you're hearing. Okay. So I heard that really hurt. Mm. Okay. That's it. Right. If you see tears, if your partner, um, a really great way to make your partner feel safe can be, depends on how you feel about touch and what your own stuff is. But if there's tears there and you're seeing emotion from your partner as they're sharing something, to lean into those tears and to sit with them and to comfort in the way that your partner needs comforting. Sometimes it can be touch or just being, yeah, being held or it can just be staying with your partner in a really open way um, to know that you are there for comfort and care for your partner. Mm. So those are pieces. And we practice that, you know, you, you practice it and you learn what works and what doesn't. But in, I'm in here, right in the therapy room, it's like, that's what happens here mm -hmm. is you have those moments and you're able to highlight it and say, okay, this works. Yeah. Keep doing that. Good job. I want to talk about some specific climbing scenarios that I think a lot of mm -hmm. people will relate to because they've seen it at the crag or they've yeah. experienced it firsthand. Mm -hmm. um, but this ties into communication. I want to talk about the timing. Like mm -hmm. when is it appropriate to 
open up and, and mm. have a hard conversation with your partner <laughs> because climbing is so emotional already. Mm-hmm. It's so, it brings up so many fears and insecurities in us anyway. Right. And we see it all the time where, <clears throat> you know, this, this is more often, or I've seen this more often in a couple where they seem really aligned and they're stoked for climbing and they're out there doing it together all the time. And you see these crag fights pop up, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, you can tell like, it's never about the thing yeah. that just happened, right? It's not because you mm-hmm. yelled take and they didn't mm-hmm. hear you instantly because it's loud, <laughs> right? Right. The it's, river's there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> There's other tension beneath that. Uh, um, yes. Right. And if like, it seems to me like that's not the time to... Mm-hmm to deal with whatever is sure. going on there. Like sure. when they're 20 feet up a route no. and pissed off. Like <laughs> yeah, that's and then not... you got a party behind you. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so what does it look like? Because I think, I think this is a pattern that, that a lot of us fall into. Like that heated moment happens. You deal with it. You try to like push it away and go about your climbing day. And then you go home and you pretend like it never happened because uh, you're not angry anymore. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so, so it could be just making it explicit and saying, right, when you push it away to say, okay, there's, there's tension here and there seems like there's something really important that we need to talk about. And so how about when we let and set a time for it after climbing and to know, okay, we're going to get to it when we get home or the next morning when it feels a little bit better. Cause sometimes it can be better to approach those heated conversations when you're not so heated mm-hmm. and you can kind of with defenses down, talk about it. Um, so to set a time for it is sweeping it under the rug rarely works in the long term. So, sure. so to be able to really identify when you're going to talk about it. So maybe like when you're still at the crag, name it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and acknowledge it and just set a time. Like we're, let's, do you want to talk about this tomorrow morning? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm, That's helpful. Mm-hmm. Or after dinner. Right. Know, whatever. Right. After we've had a beer. Yeah. After we've relaxed and you don't have the, you know, cause when you're climbing too, you've got all this like, adre- you have adrenaline, your, your body chemistry is heightened and you're already potentially in fight or flight mode. And so that in and of itself isn't really a place to address conflict because your brain is going to go into how do I protect myself? Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, you, you can't, it's hard to use vulnerability and listening for understanding and empathy when your brain is already in fight or flight mm. potentially. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Thanks for that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's talk about another scenario because this is another common one, I think. Um, and this can happen in any kind of relationship, you know, a relationship where the stoke is really balanced or mismatched, heteronormative, mm-hmm. other, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it so often happens in climbing where like, let's say I'm dating a climber girl mm-hmm. and she's out climbing with other guys a lot, mm-hmm. you know, because that's whatever. Like she lives in a place where there's more male climbing partners or or it can happen the other way, you know, like yeah. maybe your partner is out climbing with women. Sure, sure. Um, and right. climbing is such an intimate thing. Like it, there's such a bond created between you and your climbing partner, mm-hmm. especially if you're in the mountains and doing some big adventure and things right. like that. 
that's just like a recipe for insecurity. It is right? a big recipe for insecurity. Yeah. yeah. And climbers are all fit and beautiful. Yeah, right? <laughs> just like, <laughs> yeah, it can be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it can surely trigger insecurities. And in guys are always climbing with women, like secretly hoping it's a date, you know? Well, hopefully if they're not in a relationship. Right. Right. <laughs> right. But, but like for, going back to my example, yeah. like if I'm dating a, mm. a girl, like I'm under no delusions that like just because she's in a relationship, other guys aren't hitting on her and right. like hoping that right. it's a date. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's very, there's like on Mount Ice, I hear on Mountain Project, whenever a girl is asking for a climbing partner, all these guys are clamoring <laughs> to say. I can do it. I can do it. But then when a man does it, there's like crickets. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yes. There's a, it's a very heteronormative, but yeah. Um, so. So I guess, I guess the question there is advice for, again, let's, let's look at both sides of it. Like advice for the person stuck at home. Mm-hmm. who's feeling insecure mm-hmm. and then any advice for the person who's out there climbing with lots of different partners mm-hmm. um, to make their re- romantic partner feel more secure mm-hmm. in the relationship. Right. Well, when there's insecurity in a relationship or jealousy in a relationship, it's not surprising for me, for you to hear me say it, to get honest about it and to just say you know either with an indiv- either with say you're the person who's feeling insecure about your partner climbing to talk it through with a friend or to understand your own stuff that's coming up there and that own insecurity and and it could be with an individual therapist it doesn't necessarily have to be with your partner but to understand what's happening for you and what's getting triggered and to and to work and to find that understanding within you and maybe boost boosting that self-confidence or that security in the relationship. Um, and to not be afraid to ask for your needs there. So it might, mm-hmm. it might be, you know, it's nice to know when your partner's thinking about you. So, you know, I often think about that movie, The Alpinist and how he would uh, like leave voice, voice memos or something for his his uh, girlfriend and mm-hmm. partner. Um, and so it could be you're out climbing or like out on a big trip and you might send an inreach message just saying like thinking of you. And so then your partner knows, okay, I'm important here. Like that's an easy doable thing that it costs a little extra to do on your inreach, but <laughs> can go a long way. Yeah. Um, and to check in with your partner, right? To say, how does it make you feel? You know, I'm going to go climb with this this um, female partner. How does it make you feel that I'm doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, to just ch- to just check in and to see, like, if you notice tension, oh, her again. Mm. To to name it and to say, okay, how does it how does it make you feel? It doesn't mean that you can't go climb with her, but to check in with your partner though. Yeah. And to just make it explicit, to have the conversation, to have, if there's conflict, to find repair on the other end, but to not just ignore it and to sweep it under the rug because it's only going to build. Yeah. It's interesting. The thing that stands out the most from what you just said is that it's okay to ask 
for your own needs, mm-hmm. you know, because that is for me personally, that, that really stands out and resonates a lot because thinking about, thinking about dating someone who's a climber, like I want them to feel like they can go climb with their friends who I don't care what gender, whatever, right? Like I want to be fully supportive. And so I almost feel ashamed of any kind of like insecurity I might have. Mm -hmm. And that makes me want to like, I should, I shouldn't feel this. I should be able to deal with it on my own because like, like what's wrong with me that I don't want them to go friend with it go climb with their friend who I know, you know, is just platonic, whatever. Um, but it is okay to like, none of us are perfect. Like we all need support and that's something I'm still learning and working on is like, it's okay for me to acknowledge and, and ask for my own needs to be met. And it can be really small things like what you just said, someone reaching out to you from the crag and saying like, sending you a photo and being like, thinking of you. That's huge. Oh, huge. That feels amazing. Yeah. That little thing to do. And it could be, because I've had people ask, well, how do you remember to do that? Like, I'm climbing. Yeah, I yeah. don't remember that. If it's important to you, you know, you could, if it's, and it's something you're willing to do and feels good for you to set to set a timer, right? And just set like literally <laughs> yeah. and to be snap a photo and send it because I want my partner to know that I care and and I know that my partner might have insecurities. And it probably doesn't need to happen every single time you go climbing, right? It's no. just like Right. It doesn't. A and, little bit of effort. Right. And the you know the the hope is like it's not you know you got to think about the intention behind it and it can feel icky if it feels like a way to check up on you and to control you, right? To say, "Oh, see, I'm at the crag." You know, like uh-huh, it can feel uh-huh. it can feel different. But the hope, the intent would be just to be genuinely thinking about your partner and loving them. Yeah, and to let them know. Um, another note is to, if there is insecurity about, you know, and jealousy, to understand your intimate partner's real, uh, history in relationships and if there has been infidelity in the past um, or any sort of thing like manipulation or who knows, mostly infidel with jealousy, infidelity. Um, so then you can build your empathy and understand, okay, it's not about me. It's about this history of people that have hurt this person. Mm. And I can empathize with that there. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. You have some notes in front of you. Um, I want to check in with you because we've been talking for over an hour now. Have we hit on things from your list? Do you have things on there that you want to make sure that we talk about today that we haven't touched on yet? No, I think we've... We've talked about a lot of um a lot of what I have like the tips for relationships. Um you know, one one extra little piece that can help in conflict with your partner um is to stay, you know, when you're having conflict, if it feels safe, to try your best to stay in the room with your partner. A lot of times what I see and hear is people leaving, storming off, going into their own room and 
you know, doing whatever, whatever. And then that other partner who's left, it can really injure that relationship or that, that person. And if you need space or if you need time, say that going, leaving really helps you recenter and you're able to be a better person in the conflict to just name it and to say, I need some space. I need 10 minutes, two hours, whatever it is to just calm down, but I'll be, let's, let's revisit this. I just need this time. Mm. Um, Cause if your partner sees you leave, then they'll make meaning of it and make a story and anxieties are going to heighten. And so if you're explicit with it, then that anxiety can calm down and uh, you're, it's, more ripe for repair in mm. a relationship. Yeah. So just like a little. That's so, thing. yeah. Mm-hmm. Saying what we're feeling and thinking is is a big theme yeah. in this conversation. Right. God, it just is so helpful. Yeah, right. And we're not left guessing. It's so, we're not mind readers. Yeah. We're not mind readers. Um, and this is with a huge caveat too of just, you know, there can be that we're not speaking to, there could be a lot happening in your relationship that's super unsafe, or maybe there is legit safety concerns. And so to take what you're hearing with, um, take what works, you know, if it Mm -hmm. truly is unsafe to be vulnerable, then do what feels okay to you. Mm -hmm. And couples counseling can really help. (laughs) <laughs> I'm obviously really pushing. I'm so biased. <laughs> but when there's high escalation, yeah, it can, it can help. So, I'm going to bring in some listener questions that I got for you in this conversation because they relate to things we've been talking about. I'm curious if you have any additional thoughts. Uh, the first question is from Joy. Mm-hmm. And Joy writes, does Dorian have any thoughts on how to stay psyched as a climber when your partner in life is not psyched on climbing or is not a climber. It can be hard to keep the excitement high when they don't share it. Mm -hmm. I thought that was such a relatable and great question, Mm -hmm. Joy. Thanks for that. Yes. I feel like we touched on it a little bit already, but how to stay psyched as a climber when your partner is not feeling it. My hope is, again, to make it explicit and to say, gosh, I really want to be psyched in climbing. This is such an important part of my identity. What's, when you see me climb, what's happening for you? Is there disconnection, you know, or is it truly just, I don't want to climb, but you go ahead and climb. Mm. That's, you know, there's no resentment. There's nothing. There's no undertones there. Then to, you know, find your community who can get you psyched on climbing and to, really get in there mm-hmm. because your partner might not be able to meet that psyched need of yours that you need that helps that motivates you that brings you discipline all of that so find that community that can do that but if there's undertones of resentment or what we were talking about earlier those tones that you hear when you say i'm going to go climb to make it explicit and to say, hey, I noticed that tone. What it, what's really going on here? Climbing is so important to me and you're important to me. So what's going on? Because when I don't feel that psych from you, 
it hurts or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. It m- reduces my motivation or whatever it is. Um, so it's that vulnerability piece. It sounds so much easier said than done. <laughs> it is so, so, so hard. I think that's worth mm-hmm. reiterating, yeah. To be, to be vulnerable because it's our it's the most important relationship and we have the most to lose mm. if it doesn't go well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I imagine that it must have taken multiple conversations and like a long stretch of time to work all this out with your own partner. Yes. It wasn't just like one conversation. Yes. Yes. Um it Oh gosh. I want to say a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 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 When did this come up for you in the scope of your relationship? Because you you mentioned that you met him. Something you loved about him is that he had this passion for climbing. Mm-hmm, this adventurous spirit. Yeah. When did yeah. it come up and why did it come up? Like, why did it become an issue? Gosh, I was thinking about this on the way in today. Of that, it feels so long ago to me. But I... Um, How long have you been together? Oh, 12 years. Okay. Yeah. And it really though happened um, probably when we moved to Colorado and climbers feel like they are in a candy shop here. (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's not why I drove across the country to come here (laughs) for two two months. Right. Right. So I think, right, because we lived in Boise, Idaho before that and uh, City Rocks is really great the other climbing in Boise is maybe it's more developed, but not so great. Um, sorry, people from Boise. Um, (laughs) I think when we moved to Colorado, you know, his job, he's gone for, um, work a lot, like four days a week, Mm. um, gone. And so when he'd come home, that's when it was, okay, it's our time, right? It's the relationships time. And then it felt like a um, like a like a competing attachment there, like a comp, you know, like a almost yeah, like a competition there, like another relationship where it felt like that was more important. So I think that's when it really started to rub the wrong way, and so it took us time and vulnerability to get honest about what was happening and to work through it and multiple conversations and conversations that didn't go well and then conversations that went really well and where both of us felt seen. And it's it's a magical moment when you feel seen by your partner in a conflict, when you notice them putting their defenses aside and they're able to go, okay, you see me. And it's like immediate, feels like it's, it's soothed that issue. Um, so yeah, it doesn't, it, it might not happen in one conversation. There's multiple goes at it and you might get a little repair and then you can be re-injured and then you got to repair it again. But every relationship is going to have conflict, mm. but it's about the repair and the repair can take 10 minutes. It can take two hours. It can take three weeks, but there's got to be this commitment to that repair. Mm there and to be able to bring your full authentic self to the relationship and know it's accepted by your partner. 
Thank you mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you just said something that that brought another line of questions to mm-hmm. my mind. Mm-hmm. I hadn't actually written this down on my notes, but um, it's incredibly self-serving, but I think it's <laughs> it's it's worth exploring here. You talked about your partner traveling a lot and having yeah. chunks of time, you know, four days where he's gone. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd be curious what you have to say about long distance mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how to continue to show up for your partner mm-hmm. in a long distance relationship. Mm-hmm. And of course, for me, it's, I live on the road. Right. Right. So I've been doing this for two and a half years mm-hmm. and I still have no idea what dating in van life oh my looks like, you yes. know, it's, it's really challenging. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so far it's like, you know, it's kind of been these, it's like this pendulum swing between like full immersion basically, because mm-hmm. I'm, I meet someone when I'm there and I'm like right. living in the same whatever campsite or campground with them and seeing them every day or climbing every day. And then all of a sudden we go our separate ways or I leave because I live on the road and it's completely different. Mm -hmm. And it's like this cycle back and forth. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And I think a lot of, a lot of climbers can relate to that. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to go on trips. Um, Right. They have, a lot of us have lifestyles that have been built around. Yeah travel and, and trips and mm-hmm. seasonal work and things like that. Mm-hmm. So. Right. And so the question is how to make... How to continue showing up for your partner in a long distance relationship. Mm-hmm. Is it the going on big trips like for three weeks at a time or truly just long distance? You know, somebody lives in California and the other one lives in Kansas. Mm. Can we talk about both? Yeah. Let's start with the three-week trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think what I think about is those who, you know, have these epic trips planned that are, um, for like mountaineering or perhaps you're a guide. You know, I work with some guides who go out for multiple weeks at a time and, um, again, talk to your partner about what works for the relationship and wonder about the times that, you have felt cared for and comforted by your partner while you are on the road and to say things, you know, it, maybe it gets lonely in the van or maybe it gets, you know, you're with a, a big, you know, group while you're out guiding and it's not the same as being with your partner at home eating dinner and to share those, those moments of missing and to say, yeah, it's not, you know, it's not the same. Like my partner, for example, will say, it's not as fun. Like it's lonely in the hotel room sometimes. Mm. A lot of the time it's not as glamorous as people think it is. Sure. And, uh, and, and so then, you know, okay, my partner misses me. That means that I matter and that they care about me. Mm. And so to be able to just share those moments of, yeah, I really miss you right now. And then to talk about, you know, what works as far as communication. Again, if you're out in the back country and all you have is an inreach. And if you're okay with that, I know that's not what inreaches are for, but they are, <laughs> it's an added benefit. Yeah. Why not? It's an added benefit of to just to say like, to, to start it off and to tell your partner, okay, I'm, I'll try to text you once a day or once a week. And to just say like, to, to send that message. And I know not to necessarily respond in a long text back. When my partner does that for me, I just go, 
like glad you're having fun or mm. whatever it is just to have that moment of connection. So if that works, um, that's a way to keep the connection alive. Um, there's also this, um, if you're long distance and you want to, uh, kind of keep connection and you have cell service, there's an app, there's a lot of apps online uh, for couples and, they'll ask you questions or have games that you Mm. can play and it can be, you know, it can be really tough things about the relationship that you're going to talk, that you talk about, or it can be uh, really fun things like things that you love about, like three things that you love about your partner. And so those little things can make you feel thought of and cared about. Do you have examples? I'd love to share those in the Mm -hmm. show notes for people that are, that want to check those out. The one that I, um, have you, you know, I like to test them. I like to test them out. Yeah. And so the one I've tested out is called paired. Okay. Um, P-A-I-R-E-D. Um, I don't have a sponsorship deal with them yet, but. Yeah. Get- <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, um, nice. And so that I've used that one and that one that I've noticed how it has helped is, has really built positivity in the relationship. Questions like, what do you love about your partner or what are the strengths of your relationship or what does your partner do that really turns you on? Like those kind of questions that you don't ask your partner or maybe your partner is timid to even answer. Um, they'll answer them. And then you get a little smile and your heart is warm for those, you know, 30 minutes after reading the answer and you can go back to them and, are you and your partner filling in answers at your own at your own pace? At your own pace. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So um it can be a nice way to work on the relationship too. I have so many caveats. Not so many caveats, <laughs> but <laughs> I have seen it. Um sometimes it can and I um tell people this often, you know, don't choose the questions that you know can cause conflict. Sometimes if there's some tricky questions that can lead to high escalation, um, maybe start with the positive ones. If you don't know if your relationship can handle the really tough ones, like, you know, when did your partner hurt you the most? You know, like, don't answer that one just yet. Especially when you're, when you've been apart for three weeks. Yeah, (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, or if you're having some issues in a certain area of the relationship and then the only ones that you answer are in that topic, like (laughs) like money, right? That sounds so passive aggressive. (laughs) And, and it happens, right? Where you're like, yes, like, let's talk about this. Um, And you know, like that, and I know that comes from a place of wanting to be seen in your hurt around say finances or, you know, in-laws or something, but it might not be seen in the way that you want it to be seen through an app. So just like a little. That's great. A little aside. That's helpful. Side note there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any other things come to mind for like a more semi-permanent long distance? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everyone, I bet others... Um, have some solid thoughts who are in long distance relationships, but I was, we were in a long distance relationship for some time and, you know, to plan things, to just know when you're going to see your partner next 
and to be able to look forward to it mm. and to talk about the excitement and to plan for it and um like to plan actually seeing each other yeah, in person. seeing each other yeah mm-hmm. gotcha um or fa- you know having um a dinner date on facetime mm-hmm. um if and to just go okay we're gonna even if you're different time zones let's cook the same <laughs> meal and and eat like maybe someone's in a van and or <laughs> someone's in their apartment and you're cooking the same thing and yeah. you could just like to have to know okay on Thursday nights that's what that's what I'm gonna do it's date night and you just sit and you're eating together even though it's through a screen mm-hmm. um, can still feel very connective and to have those kind of rituals while you're away um, can feel nice. I had a friend tell me that she would even watch movies with her partner when they were in a long distance relationship. Like right. they would just be on FaceTime. Yeah. And just the phone's just sitting there on the couch and you're both watching the same movie at the same time. Right. Right. <laughs> that is, um, it just, you know, nowadays because we've kind of, we view screens in such a different way. Um, you can still feel like that person's with you. Mm. So that sounds nice. All right. I've got another listener question for you. This is a, this is a long one. This is from Doreen and Doreen is a psychologist Mm. and just totally embraced this upcoming conversation. So I thought, (laughs) I thought this was really great. Oh, cool. So yeah, I'll read her paragraph and then she wraps up with uh, some thoughts and a question here. Doreen writes, Um, I don't know if I have a specific question, more a general musing, I guess. I think previous relationships with other climbers were doomed because climbing can bring out both the best and worst in me. Great joy, passion, and commitment, but also obsessiveness and competitiveness, envy, frustration, and self-criticism. And so I used to have a difficult relationship with dating climbers who were also coaches or route setters or otherwise um, much more accomplished in climbing than I was. And it was hard not to compare myself, Mm -hmm. feel anxious about not being good enough Mm -hmm. or worried that the thing that we had in common would also always be a point of separation Mm -hmm. and a source of anxiety. Then I met my boyfriend, Jesse, who is a climber. And I realized that like with all relationships, it's something other than our grades or strengths that matters. It's that we're both able to engage with each other's excitement, challenges, strengths, and hardships. He still climbs harder than me, but it's when my demons are most active that he really comes through. He validates my rage, soothes my anxiety, allows me to feel vulnerable, turns his attention from his project, and gets psyched about even the tiniest bit of progress Mm. that I make. Mm. And then she writes, I guess I'm wondering whether ultimately the key to positive climbing relationships is whether we can be vulnerable around the other person, same as in non-climbing relationships, but maybe this becomes even more important in a sport that consistently forces us into vulnerable situations Mm -hmm. physically and psychologically. Mm. Lovely, Doreen. Yes, I feel like that's kind of sums up a lot of what we've talked about. Yeah, right, of, of that vulnerability. and And I love that tying into the, into how just climbing the sport in and of itself is vulnerable. Um, yeah. And climbers already have so many of the tools to be successful in a relationship because they have practiced vulnerability on the wall. They've failed publicly mm. um, and have to get back up on that wall and do it again and have to com- 
communicate with their climbing partners and um, talk about defeats or what have you. So there's a lot of things that can be like transferable skills to <laughs> to relationships mm. there. Yeah. It all relates back to climbing. Yeah, it does. Right? <laughs> climbing, climbing is such a is great the teacher of, the, of, of, of life. Of life. <laughs> Everything revolves around it. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> it is a good teacher, though. It, it is. It is such a good teacher. And when you yeah. take a moment and just reflect on the lessons you've learned um, from climbing and just awe in it, um, it's just wonder, like there's so much you can take away from it. Mm. There's so much. Uh, and so much that you can relate to your own pers- your own relationships from even your relationship with the project that you're on and the thoughts that come up and the defenses that come up and the worries that come up um, and how you work through them. And it can feel easier to yell at a well, you get, it's very easy to yell at a wall, but you don't want to yell at your partner unless that's the way you, you all argue and it's not an issue. Um, hmm. uh, so anyway, that's that. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have just a few more questions for you. These are kind of more general and, and hopefully kind of tangible, like mm-hmm. things that people can take away from this conversation. What advice do you have for couples who want to enjoy the things they each love as individuals Mm -hmm. while maintaining and growing a healthy relationship? Mm -hmm. To come together, I think, like kind of what you were talking about with the ultra runner and climbing, to be okay with, hey, this is, this is what we like to do. And it's, apart from each other, potentially, and that's okay. And then to find those things that you come back to that are very connective and that you, that is your thing with your partner. So that might be, you know, my partner, I like to go river rafting and it's a, and it's almost perfect for us because he can get that like high adrenaline stoke there. And I get to sit there and (laughs) (laughs) and be excited but it's within my window of tolerance there of Mm. um yeah okay i i'm i've trust you and we're gonna go down this and it's so fun and we can share that experience um and to just make sure you're intentionally finding ways to connect um and to take that time and to even say okay maybe this weekend we won't climb we won't whitewater kayak, we'll do our thing, which is backpacking or do something else that is just for us. Mm. And we can intentionally spend time for us. Hopefully that helps. It does. That's mm-hmm. great. Um, what are some simple actionable things that you think more couples should do? What I always have to offer is way easier said than done which is the vulnerability piece. Um, but an actionable an actionable item would be to make space for those conversations. So it could be to once a week, you sit down with your partner 
maybe you're doing that app or there's a card games like online that you can buy. One of them is called Couples Moments. And it could just be um, you you answer five questions that night. And, mm. and there are things like, what are you seeing in the next five years? Or what do you... What's your greatest greatest accomplishment? Like these sort of questions to just get curious about your partner or the relationship can be an actionable thing to just talk and open the door up to more vulnerable conversations. Like what's your biggest fear? Okay, that can be a big one. So that would be an actionable item. I love that. And actually, I'm glad you said that. It's it's amazing to me. I actually played a card game similar to that in a, re- in a recent relationship. Mm-hmm. And I literally ask people questions for a living. That's what I mm-hmm. do. And I, I never have a hard time feeling curious about new people. Mm-hmm. And, and yet it was so helpful mm-hmm. to have prompts. Mm, you know, right. when, you, when you talk to the same person all the time. Mm-hmm. And you feel like there's nothing left to discover. Like, mm-hmm. of course there is. There's mm-hmm. so much. But yeah, those those prompts, those questions, those games can be incredibly helpful for yes. just kickstarting a conversation. And then like, you know, you might have an hour conversation from one question and mm-hmm. go off in all these different directions and forget what you were right. even asked in the first place. Right, you know? right. That's cool. And it's just an opportunity to learn about your partner or to learn about the relationship and get excited or to work through some stuff that comes up from it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You lived in a tiny house with your partner? Uh Uh-huh, I did. For four years during grad school, is that right? Yes, (laughs) yes. I love it. It was so great. Was it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. See, my tone... (laughs) My tone there. Was, I caught that. Yeah, you caught that. I'm making explicit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, we built it and then um, lived in it, and it and it was really, it's it was built to exactly what we needed and wanted, which was super neat. And we still have it, and we rent it out to climbers. Mo- like we try to. Oh, that's great. Um, and uh, yeah, so. Anyway, I'm curious about that because, you know, of course, it's another self-serving thing. It's it sounds really similar to living in a van. Yeah. And I'm always um, I'm fairly particular with my space Mm -hmm. and I've never lived in my van with a partner, you know, more than just like a short Mm -hmm. trip Mm -hmm. um, when I've when I've dated people. Mm -hmm. And I I'm amazed, actually, when I meet other couples on the road who live in a Usually it's like a smaller van than what I have, you know? And I'm just like, how the fuck do you guys do that? Like, how have you not killed each other yet? Or whatever it is. Yeah. Any tips, any advice for Mm -hmm. living with your partner in a small, Mm -hmm. confined space? Like a tiny house or a van? Yeah. um, Well, what I... I think, honestly, living in the tiny home really helped us build a good communication style because you know, you don't have anywhere to go. So that's a little side note. Like you, you're going to repair that relationship because you don't have a extra bedroom to go sleep in mm. unless you sleep outside. <laughs> <laughs> and you can, but right. we, we never got to that point or the neck, the loft over, which you can still hear that person. So, um, you know, I would say for van people that live in vans or, or tiny homes to be okay, okay with 
asking for space mm. and to have moments where like to to have your own time um so that could look like hey you know what i really need some alone time and if it's within your means rent one person gets a hotel mm. for a night or two to just fill up themselves and to reach to not be constant like if if anxieties are running high or tension is running high to be able to just get out of that for a moment um or to yeah go on a hike you don't have to do everything with each other all the time mm. and to be okay with that and it doesn't mean that your relationship is any weaker because you don't want to spend 100% of your time with that person <laughs> in fact it's yeah. quite healthy to have other friends or to go to an event and, and to be able to be your own person there um, and to fill that part of you up um, can be good. Mm. Yeah, I really, I love that you just gave us all permission to, to rent another room uh -huh. um, because that like intuitively that feels like Oh, we can't do that. That's like a problem, you know, right, or that right. that's like such an indication of something being wrong mm -hmm. or what are other people going to think if mm -hmm. they find out that like I'm staying in a hotel for a couple nights right. and she's in the van or whatever. Right. But yeah, just to hear that that's normal mm -hmm. and fine and that because that is the thing about van life, like when you're dating, it's it's so far from normal. Like mm -hmm. you don't get any space. No. And if you live in an apartment with someone, like you can walk into another room. Mm -hmm. You can. Yes. Yeah. You can. you can walk down the street to the coffee shop by yourself uh -huh. or whatever. And you can sleep on the couch. Which, <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, and that happens. Sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, <laughs> but in a van or in a tiny home, it can be hard. And I almost like attribute that success of a, tiny of our tiny home to yeah my my partner was in a hotel for three or four nights a week mm. because of his job oh yeah and yeah. so I had my own space and I could just decompress after a long day mm. and just do my own thing and not have to just just chill and the, and that's what I need and that and other people might not need that but that would be my my recommendation there. Mm -hmm. if, if you if your body and your heart and your mind is telling you, I just need, I just know I need like a couple of days to myself. Take it. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. And it's not, and for the other person, like it's not personal. No. Yeah. No, and as long as you're making it explicit, right? It's not about you. I just need some space. Or let, can I, I just want to read on this hammock for two hours and quiet. Mm. That's okay to ask. And then if something happens in the relationship because you asked for a need, then that's when you get vulnerable and you practice all those other skills that we've talked about and get honest. And there's always couples therapists out there who will help, <laughs> <laughs> help you work through it or individual therapists or friends. And that could be another piece too, if you have a friend to talk to or 
to call, like to keep those connections alive in the outside world. If you're in a van traveling a lot to be intentional and to have, you know, Zoom happy hours got really popular during COVID. Mm. Have a happy hour with a friend while you're out in your camp, in your camp chair. Mm. Um, and to fill, like keep connected to those communities there and to be reminded that there is more to you than the relationship. Mm, that's great. You are your own person. So to be, to be intentional about that mm -hmm. and to make it a priority if, if it's feeling like it's a need. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you have any recommendations for people that have never done therapy before in connecting with a therapist and finding someone? Mm -hmm. um, I actually just, I haven't talked, I haven't mentioned this yet. I plan to mention this in this conversation because mm -hmm. I, I feel like it's important to share, but I just had my first ever therapy session last week mm -hmm. and I found someone through BetterHelp. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was actually because of a conversation that I had with Ethan Pringle um, a couple weeks ago. And he said that he found a great therapist through there. And Good. I've always been curious about therapy uh -huh. and it was amazing. I mean, yeah, I've only had good. one session. I still good. have so much to learn, mm -hmm. um, to learn with this therapist and to also, um, you know, he doesn't know that much about me and my right. lifestyle yet. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've always had like pretty open conversations with friends mm -hmm. and have always been fairly self-aware and willing to work on myself. Mm -hmm. And so I think I've felt like I never needed it, mm -hmm. but I was really struck with how different it is to talk to a professional who actually has spent 20 years working mm -hmm. on things like this. And mm -hmm. I highly recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely going to keep doing it. But Good. anyway, back to my question. Um, yeah. How does a couple or an individual find a therapist? Mm -hmm. It can be really hard these days to find a therapist. Um, but why is that not impossible? Um, because you know, uh, what I hear a lot is people, um, a lot of therapists are full, um, or insurance can be really hard to, hard to, um, work with. Um, and so it can be, so that's why I'm saying it can't, it can be hard. So don't let that, you know, if you get if you don't get responses from a therapist, you know, you reach out and make that big vulnerable step to reach out and they don't respond to you. Um, don't give up at that mm. moment. Um, and so to find a therapist, it can be, um, I got calls after the other podcast from people from different States and about finding a therapist. And I often, uh, um, used the, American Alpine uh, Grief Fund list and sent that to them. Um, they have a list of therapists there who are climbers. Um, and I t had them start there because I can't see people who are not in Colorado. Um, I can see people in Canada, actually, which is really random. Oh, because of like a licensing? Because of licensure. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Okay. It's a really great way to protect people and to make sure and all of that. But um, yeah randomly Canada is okay because hmm. they're unregulated. Um, okay. Most, some parts. Anywho. Um, so reach out to therapists. Like if you have a friend who, you know, is in therapy and they really like their therapist, you can always use like, even if you don't want to use their therapist, you can use that person. You can reach out to that person and ask, who do you know 
has openings there. Um, or when you reach out to that, to a person, to a therapist, if you don't have openings, who do you know has openings that might be a good fit? And then most therapists offer a 20 minute free consultation or 30 minutes. Mine are typically on Zoom. Some people do in person. And that gives you an opportunity to get to know that person and to get to know that therapist. And, and it's important that that therapist feels like a good fit. Um, and if it doesn't feel like a good fit, don't be afraid to say no. Mm. It doesn't feel like a good fit. Do you know anyone else? It's kind of like dating. Hmm. It's being right. Makes sense. Mm -hmm, the therapist relationship is so intimate. Yeah. And so it's so important that you feel like you have a good fit for your therapist and that your therapist cares about you and can uh, meet the what you're looking for, those needs. Um, and so then you get started in therapy. And again, if notice if it continues to feel like a good fit. And if it doesn't, don't be afraid to jump ship and to go to a different therapist and to to keep trying to find someone that really feels good. So those are the tips. The other tips are to look like more tangible. Psychology Today is a great place to find a therapist. Um, there's, you know, through your insurance. Um, and many um, therapists might not take insurance, but you can you might be able to use your HSA or FSA card to pay for it if you have health that. savings account. Health savings account. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um to help pay for it. Um, okay. So because that can be such a barrier to mental health care, mm. which is finances. Right. Um, so hopefully that's helpful. That's super helpful. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have openings right now? Are you I, taking people? I do like to keep a couple of openings for climbers. Okay. So I'll be sure to share your yeah. website on in the show notes for yeah, people that, that want to reach out to you. And mm -hmm. are you on Instagram? I am on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Um <laughs> I was expecting you to say no and I was gonna congratulate you. <laughs> uh, so I'm so I do I have a business page. Um and I'm just not one of those like consistent content creators yeah it, it's not i you know i tried it can the be tiny a full-time job it's uh, so yes. much work it's so much work and so um yeah uh, you, can, <laughs> you can follow me on i think it's cultivate growth therapy okay or cultivate at cultivate therapy <laughs> i haven't posted in like two years um or a year <laughs> Uh, so I'm just trying to like I'll yeah. link to it yeah. I'll find <laughs> so, it I'll double check hey, with you hey follow me um, <laughs> DM me whatever you do no um, will that get seriously will that get to you do you check it at all yeah yeah I check it okay I check it Great. yeah yeah okay. um, I just don't it's not the place to like find stuff but I think what I've noticed is like there is this need for which is why this conversation was important for you know there's you know, I got calls that were like, it was just really, you know, it's really important to find a therapist that understands the climbing community. And this is after your podcast at, with the run mm -hmm, out. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, that just gets it right. Mm. So, cause it just take you just get it. You get the stoke and you're not trying to change me and you're not going to judge mm. me. And 
this is just me. And, and to have a therapist that like, again, delights in that and Mm. says, I'm not going to try to change you. And I know you want a good relationship or you want these other parts of your life to be full. So how do we make it all work? So it all feels good and you feel whole. Anyway, that showed me that there was a need. So, you know, people can always, um, I might be doing some workshops um, mm. for people in different states and couples for different sta- in different states for climbers. Um, so to just like register an interest or something. And so then you're on an email list. And if it, uh, when it happens, um, to just know that it's, that's a tool and you can begin to work on some of the skills that we talked about. Awesome. So, yeah. Thank you, Dorian. Mm-hmm. Thank you for this conversation. I, I really think this is going to be just a really unique and, and really special and really helpful conversation for a lot of people listening. Mm. And I just want to thank you for sharing so much of yourself mm-hmm. in this conversation as well. That's a mm-hmm. real gift. Mm. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, My pleasure. I really do. And to be able to just uh, bring some humanness to therapy and couples therapy and what couples can go through and know that it's normal and to normalize it and validate it is so important. Anything else on your list? Well, I had like a whole thing about like falls and stuff and how to come back after a fall as a couple, but oh, that's okay. Okay. Well, we'll, uh, we'll just have to do a round two. Let's yeah. save it for next time. Right. I think that's very important and it big, can be a big conversation, but. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's plan on it. That'd be great. I'd love to do another round. We'll see how the response is. Yeah. (laughs) We'll start with that. Yeah. Yeah. And with that, thank Mm -hmm. you guys so much for listening. If you're still with us, thanks for being here. Um, And please reach out. Please reach Mm -hmm. out to me, to Dorian. Let Mm -hmm. us know what you thought of this conversation. If if you have thoughts or questions or comments, feedback, Mm -hmm. anything, um, Mm -hmm. I'm sure. I'd love to hear it. I'm sure. Me too. We'd both love to hear it. So. Yeah. Thank you. All right, that's it for today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed that chat with Dorian. If you want to work with her, I link to her website, cultivategrowththerapy.com, as well as her Instagram in the show notes for this episode at thenuggetclimbing.com. So check out the show notes. And if you have any feedback or questions, we would love to hear it. You can send it to me at thenuggetclimbing on Instagram. I read all those things. You can send it to Dorian on Instagram, or you can contact her through her website. Before you go, be sure to check out Petzl. Shop for Petzl carabiners and quick draws at your local climbing shop or online at petzl.com. My favorite quick draws in the world are the Petzl Spirits. Now the Spirit Express, that's the new version. I just love having those things hanging on my project. Also, be sure to check out Fizzy Vantage. I take their supercharged collagen every day to support my finger training. I love the chocolate flavor. I'm really digging that right now. Use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off your next order of supercharged collagen. Also, be sure to check out Athletic Greens. I truly am a fan of this stuff. I take it every day. It's refreshing, it tastes good, and it provides awesome all-in-one nutritional insurance. If you want to try it, head over to athleticgreens.com slash 
nugget to get free vitamin D and five free travel packs with your purchase. And finally, last but not least, be sure to check out Crimped. Head over to crimped.com or find the Crimped app in the App Store. The free version gives you so many good workouts and so much great content. You can try it for free. Go check it out and see if you like it. And that is it, my friends. Thank you so much for listening to the very, very end. I appreciate you guys. I hope you have an amazing week and we will see you next time.